Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, the fallout continues from the forced diversion of a Ryanair flight over Belarus. I'll recap the latest, and Tom will see what's going on in the world's A380s. Jo will bring you the best bits from her one-on-one chat with Group CEO Akbar Albaker of Qatar Airways last week, while I'll look at whether recent changes at Frankfurt Airport are a good sign for the aviation industry. Finally, I'll explore how regional aviation could change forever with the resurgence of the airship. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I missed this um, Ryanair thing because I was off last week, Joe. So tell me all about it. Yeah, this is what happens when you take a holiday, Tom. Everything, I know. all hell breaks loose. <laughs> I, I No, I was I was actually joking with my family that all of the really good stories, no, not necessarily really good, but really good in terms of newsworthiness are always coming out when I'm off. Yeah, so I'm sure everyone's heard about this, but just to recap, um, it was a Ryanair flight heading to Vilnius in Lithuania from Athens in Greece, and it was forced to divert and land in Minsk in Belarus. Um, And reports suggest a MiG-29 fighter jet escorted the Ryanair plane down. Mm. Um, And... After the fact, you know, we we realised that the reason for this was that Belarusian authorities had ordered it because a guy called Roman Protasevich was on board the aircraft. Now, Mm. this guy is a blogger and activist. And uh, in Belarus, he's been on a wanted list since last year's mass street protests um, in response to the current president's election win. Um, But it was a very unusual response. The Belarusian media claimed that there was a bomb scare on board and that was why the plane had been forcibly diverted in this manner. But uh, yeah, the the guy basically got arrested on the ground. There's also been some talk that potentially some KGB agents also got off the plane in uh, Belarus. But uh, for the most of the people on the plane, it was quite an eventful turn of uh, the situation. Mm. Um, They did make it to Vilnius in the end, um, but it was much later it was like I think nine o'clock at night before they touched down and the very odd thing was that they were very close to Vilnius you know they were literally within half an hour of the the airport and they diverted in completely the opposite direction flying you know a much longer segment to uh, to get to Minsk so a very very unusual thing not something that happens every day but as you can Mm. imagine the fallout from this has been big and um, widespread. (laughs) So uh, IATA was one of the first to make a comment on it. Willie Walsh, who's obviously the new head of IATA over there, they released a Mm. statement calling for an independent international investigation. And their statement was, IATA strongly condemns any interference or requirement for the landing of civil aviation operations that is inconsistent with the rules of international law. Basically, they're saying this was a, a commercial flight. It was a private, you know, nothing to do with the military and it shouldn't have been interfered with. Hmm. Um, so pretty soon after the, the incident happened, several airlines started rerouting away from Belarusian airspace. Uh, one of the first was your favourite little airline, Air Baltic. I saw that. <laughs> and uh, Wizz Air also, they both declared early on Monday that they would be taking detours to avoid that airspace. Um, later on on Monday, the UK Civil Aviation Authority, which uh, now acts independently of EASA, thanks to Brexit, mm. um, suspended the operating permit of Belavia, which is uh, Belarus's national airline. 
And uh, it also requested all UK airlines to avoid Belarus airspace as a safety precaution. So it wasn't a ban, but it was like, Hmm. please don't go that way if if you can avoid it. Um, So come Tuesday, May the 24th, Lufthansa also announced it was suspending its operation in Belarusian airspace. And then on Tuesday, just after that, the EU banned the the Belarusian airlines as well and urged its own airlines to avoid the airspace. Um, On Wednesday, (laughs) however, Belavia tried to fly to Barcelona. (laughs) Now, uh, it kind of flew across Belarus and then ended up in a bit of a holding pattern on the border of Polish airspace. Now, it could have gone through Poland, but in order to get to Barcelona, it needed to transit France airspace Mm. and they weren't going to let it in. And the pilots didn't even know this when they took off. So they'd already flown for over an hour before they realised they were going to have an issue. Um, So... Eventually, it turned around and headed back to Minsk. You know, it was a two and a half hour flight to nowhere. Um, and by the end of the week, Belavia had suspended flights to a number of countries. It was eight on Thursday, but then by the end of the weekend, it was most of Europe um, and also a couple of destinations in Russia that uh, require transiting a European Um, piece of airspace to get there. It Mm. does continue to fly to Turkey, um, but the trip's now 50% longer as it has to reach around Ukrainian airspace. So all in all, a a bit of chaos. Um, And we've also had some retaliation from Russia, who clearly are very much on the side of the Belarusians in this whole uh, shenanigans. Um, Because the airlines are avoiding Belarus, they're making detours and coming into Russian airspace in a different Uh, location. And this new flight plan needs the approval of the Russian aviation authorities. So they've all sought approval for these new routings um, and they've not received the approvals in time. So several Air France passenger flights and a number of other passenger and cargo flights had to be cancelled. Now they're starting to give approvals, but there's still quite a lot of disruption. I mean, what do you make of all this, Tom? You you missed it in real time, but you must be catching up on it now. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, this wasn't on my bingo sheet for 2021. <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I, I'm I, very much with the avoid the airspace because it's this is not on, you know, like, it's, I, I'm, it was interesting because I read, I think, yesterday that Qatar Airways CEO said it was pilot error in going to Minsk. But if yeah. you've got like a fighter jet on your wing, what are you going to do? What are you going to um, do? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's not a normal situation. And, um I think you're going to have so much going through your head right then. You're like the last thing on your mind is going to be: is somebody going to get arrested if I divert here? Yeah, um, quite. But I think the the sort of international response has been appropriate because it's it's simply not on. And I I I did admire. Uh, I think it was O'Leary called finally after about a day of silence called it an act of aviation piracy. Yeah, yeah, it was obvious they had their weekend comms team on on Sunday when it happened because the the response was very much, we're sorry to all the passengers who got you know, inconvenienced by this, but it wasn't a very Ryanair response at all. So I was really yeah. pleased to see uh, O'Leary sticking his oar in a bit later on when he came back to work on the Monday. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting because um, just yesterday as well, we had another Ryanair diversion to Berlin, um, another bomb threat. This was phoned into... Krakow Airport, apparently, um, but uh, they landed in Berlin late at night. Uh, plane was searched, all clear, and I do kind of wonder whether the two uh, linked, not like in terms of the action, but whether somebody has 
sort of retaliating against the Belarus By phoning thing. it in. Yeah, potentially, yeah. potentially. It's all a bit of a mess. And I do agree it's absolutely not on to involve a, you know, a commercial yeah. airline in anything to do with politics. It's just not the way we work. So hopefully yeah. they'll get it resolved in the mid to long term. I mean, all <laughs> these Belavia flights, they're, they're now suspended until October. So they're obviously yeah. not expecting anything to change in the short term. But uh, mm. um, yeah, and I did read today, I think the US has suspended its bilateral agreements with Belarusian airlines as well. But I'm not sure any, any of them actually fly to the US, do they? Yeah, I think it would actually more impact US carriers. Um, I don't really know what carriers other than Belavia um, the, um, they have. Um, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's, um, I do wonder if it will maybe eventually impact deliveries because I know they just got their first Max the other day, didn't they? Oh, they did. That's right. Yeah. I guess they mm. won't be flying any more Maxes out to uh, Minsk at the present time, just in case. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we'll, I guess we'll wait and see. But um, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't want to call any so, shots too early on that one. So despite your week away from the news scene, um, let's guess what you want to talk about. Your favourite well, yeah, you know, like, I, I went with this one because it's um, sort of a nice story to get back in uh, with. And um, I haven't spoken about A380s for a long time. Um, At least a I week think. or two. <laughs> no, I think, I think we've gone a month or so because I've been avoiding speaking about the A380s. But anyway, so a little bit of an A380 update. We'll go around the houses. Um, we'll start with Lufthansa, obviously, because they're just down the road. Um, so this morning, six-year-old Delta Alpha India Mike Mike departed Frankfurt. It became the 20th jet at Terrell in Spain after um, the Etihad one landed while I was away, uh, which this one kind of came as a bit of a surprise to me because in January, Lufthansa had told us that they would be keeping two aircraft um, just in case they needed them. And then this one departed, which was one of the two. Um, it turns out that because of what we're going to talk about a bit later, um, Lufthansa needed a little bit more space in Frankfurt. So they've sent this one away so that 747-8s can take its place. Um, the We've got one remaining at Frankfurt now, which is Delta Alpha India Mike Hotel. And according to Lufthansa, that's planned to stay there until September. But, you know, it could change. And it's just kind of sad because, you know, like I, we, we're getting to the point now, I think, where we can safely say that the A380 isn't coming back with Lufthansa, which yeah, yeah. is a real disappointment because I never got to fly with them. But one oh. airline that the A380 is coming back to is our favorite Japanese carrier, uh, All Nippon Airways, or our favorite Japanese A380 operator, shall we say, so we're not <laughs> giving any favoritism. Um, <laughs> no, the prettiest A380s in the world, certainly. Uh, well, you haven't seen the ones in the BA livery then. <laughs> um, no, no, I <laughs> do agree with turtles. you there. But they're not turtles. Yeah. So our, our lovable turtle A380s are coming back in August. I mean, obviously, they've been doing these flights to nowhere each month since they were since uh, August, I think. But they're going to make two trips to Honolulu, which is where they're intended for. Uh, in August. So we're going to see flights departing Tokyo on August 9th and 13th, returning from Honolulu the next day. And these are two flights that apparently were scheduled with the Boeing 787 Dreamliner, which has 246 seats, but apparently demand was way higher than expected. So they're using the 520-seater A380s. And uh, it's unclear whether they're going to use one of each or um, 
two is uh, the two flights are going to be operated by just one aircraft but we know it's not going to be the orange aircraft because that's still in airbus's care in on the other side of the world in toulouse yeah but finally i thought i'd sort of wrap up with uh, Emirates. So they've started flying their newest A380 now. Uh, they quietly took delivery of one of two aircraft this year. Uh, it's interesting because last year we got press releases every time there was a new A380, but this one's just kind of slipped in without any any fuss. Um, it's registered as A6 EVP and it uh, arrived in Dubai on May 13th. So that uh, means that the number of premium economy seats in Eti- um, Emirates has doubled because they now have two planes with the, <laughs> the cabin. Um, Great. Emirates also returned to Manchester with the A380, and they were meant to stop serving Frankfurt with the A380 today, but one's taken off bound for us so it looks like that's been extended Um, so it's kind of good news across the board for a380s even with the negativity from lufthansa and just to sort of wrap this segment up um before i went away i kind of did a little bit of digging into the price of an a380 in 2021 can you guess how much you would theoretically need to buy an a380 um 10p because nobody <laughs> wants a second hand a380 uh, yeah, no well, i don't i don't have a clue perhaps well anyway in 2018 when uh, airbus stopped publishing list prices the a380 had a list price of 445 million dollars uh, so according to data from ch aviation this new one that was delivered to emirates last week or two weeks ago has now a value or a market value of 110 dollars. so that's quite a drop from the list price Uh, but i mean no one pays list price anyway and um it just kind of goes down from there so the cheapest one that's uh, got a market value listed by ch aviation is just 41 million dollars and that has uh, 50,000 flight hours so Oof. that's another emirates one oh well was if i win the lottery this weekend i might just buy that cheap one and uh, park it in a field and live in it <laughs> you know i've actually been saying for a long time that that should be done <laughs> definitely definitely i mean it's luxury accommodation come on <laughs> hmm. so i i heard that um on the topic of a380s qatar airways said it was not their their best move to buy them so do you want to tell me a bit more about your uh, chat with akbar yeah i will so i i really enjoyed our webinar with uh, akbar albaka who is group ceo at qatar airways um he was actually lovely i was a little bit nervous because he always seems very serious and very strict but mm. we had a really good conversation and he I had a little giggle now laugh. and then i did i can't remember what i said but um i certainly raised a grin so uh, so yeah the headline story really from this was that they admitted the a380 was their biggest mistake um mm. as we know qatar has already taken impairment on five of its 10 um the other five likely won't fly again for the airline um so you know he's admitted it's a great aircraft passengers love it but at the time that it came out and the design it was just all wrong for the market and uh, mm. you get the impression he wishes he hadn't gone there but for uh, yeah. now the uh, the a350 and 787 will be the backbone of the qatar airways fleet um mm. of course it is planning to add the 777x um in a rather surprise announcement uh, albaca said that uh, the 777x could come as soon as 2022 which is rather okay. 
a difference of opinion from that of his neighbour um, airline mm. CEO, who said uh, 2024 or beyond. But uh, I mean, even, even um, though- Boeing are going later than that, aren't they? They were a little bit surprised by that comment. But uh, no, I, I think maybe he meant they won't delay pushing forward past 2022, um, you know, for deliveries beginning in 23. Maybe it was mm. a, a lost in translation thing. But uh, but anyway, he doesn't think that they'll be the launch customer, which again is a bit of a change of heart because I think it was only a few weeks ago they said yeah. they did want to be the launch customer. But I thought it was quite nice. He said, no, some other airline can be the guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> Check it all out, iron out all the kinks, and then we'll have ours when it's all uh, polished up and ready to go. So yeah. Um, he also noted, you know, as he has before, an interest in a 777X or A350 freighter um, and would be at the front of the queue to buy those if they were developed. Mm. Um, and he also noted that if any new aircraft were to come out that could serve as replacements for the A350s and 787s, which I have to add, he hasn't had finished having delivered yet, he would mm. also be at the front of the queue for those. So, you know, it's an airline that's constantly turning over planes, constantly looking to drive down down its fleet age and have the most efficient aircraft in its in its fleet. Um, so maybe course, the new uh, Comac that they're making, the wide body. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that will uh, match up to the A350 somehow, but you never know. <laughs> I could be surprised. <laughs> so uh, as well as the wide bodies, obviously this is um, an airline that has a lot of Airbus narrow bodies and it's got a big order in for the A321 uh, Neo, which includes 10 of the long range versions. So he added some colour to the plans for those, which is quite interesting, that um, they'll be used to serve their off-season and destinations. He noted that, you know, travel to Qatar from some places is quite seasonal. So when mm. it's not efficient to send a larger aircraft, the uh, the LRs will be really useful for those routes. Um, but he said he's not at all interested in the XLR. Um, I think his words were, I would not put my passengers in a narrow body for 10 hours. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he hasn't quite uh, quite absorbed the potential of, um, of a long range narrow body. Um, certainly yeah. not for Qatar anyway. Oh, well. Um, so we talked a little bit also about cabin products, of course. You know, their, their Q-suite is considered to be one of the best business class products in the mm. world. Um, I tried to lead him a little bit on what we could expect from the new Q-suite, uh, but he wouldn't tell me anything at all. But uh, he did say that it hopes it will be, he hopes it will be good enough to never need first. Um, mm. He said he, he is under some pressure, particularly from people in his own country, to provide a first-class product. Um, and he did admit that he could even introduce a small first-class cabin on some very specific routes just to meet that demand. Mm. Uh, But then he also said that he hopes he doesn't have to because the the Q-Suite 2.0 will hopefully be good enough to satisfy that demand. Um, In terms of premium economy, which is something his neighbour airline has had great success with in the last year, no, that's not for them. It will never, ever happen on Qatar Airways. He doesn't think it's a a good move at all. Um, He believes that people that are using that cabin are kind of fleecing their customers and that Qatar Airways offers an equivalent good product in its standard economy and that there's no need to charge them an arm and a leg for an extra bottle of wine. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that's, that's one to watch and see because I'm pretty sure Emirates before was saying they'd never do it so yeah it's interesting that all the airlines that have done it 
they've said it's their most profitable cabin, you know, in yeah. terms of, um, you know, revenue per passenger that's in that bit of floor space. It works. Mm. Um, and it, it's a crowd pleaser as well. You know, those of us that perhaps don't have the resources to upgrade to business, it's a nice yeah. way to make our trip slightly more pleasant without completely breaking the bank. So maybe maybe it will change, but certainly not in the near future. Um, mm. And I also spoke to him about what his neighbours are doing um, in terms of having kind of low cost or short haul arms to their businesses. You know, Emirates is working ever more closely with low cost fly Dubai um, over at Etihad. Obviously, they've got their new partnership with Air Arabia for Air Arabia Abu Dhabi. Um, yeah. Is this something Qatar's going to do? No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, he didn't go into detail about why not, but he said, you know, they would soon realise their folly. He doesn't think it's a good idea at all to have a low-cost airline hubbed at Doha with himself. Um, although he mm. did admit that as the airport operator, they would be more than happy to welcome additional low-cost airlines to operate from Doha. Um, mm. So, you know, he spoke extensively about sustainability, being able to grow the airline without um, being irresponsible to the environment. And, you know, overall, the message was that the OEMs and engine makers need to continue investing their huge profits in research and development so that airlines like his can continue to grow, um, but with a low carbon footprint. Um I did ask him when he wanted to go carbon neutral, but he said that he didn't want to put a date on it just for the sake of getting some extra stripes on his sleeve. So much, okay. very much a case of it will happen when it happens, but I'm not going to brag about it. And I thought that yeah. was lovely and, and humble. So, uh, so yeah, if you did tune in, thanks so much. And uh, we will be coming with more news of future webinars very soon. Um, and, you know, do give us feedback because we're learning mm. all the time about this, uh, this sort of thing. And if you didn't tune in and you want to, uh, check it out on our YouTube channel. Oh, yes, we did upload this one. We didn't with the yes. Tim Clark one, but for this one, it is on our YouTube channel, so you can watch it back in all its glory. Mm. So moving on a bit more, I wanted to talk about an airport where Qatar flies, <laughs> along with Emirates and Lufthansa and many other airlines. Um, <laughs> bit of a tenuous link there, Tom. Yeah, well, I tried. <laughs> You've got to give me that. So actually, from today when we record the podcast, so Tuesday, if you're listening back when it comes out, uh, Frankfurt began basically using all of its facilities. So the Northwest Runway, which closed in December, reopened. And more importantly, I think Terminal 2, which has been closed since the end of March 2020, also reopened. Um, that now means that all the terminals that are built, uh, I should probably add that caveat, and all of the runways at Frankfurt are now open. Um what I find really sort of interesting about this is, uh, you know, the the fact that Terminal 2 has reopened because the runway, it's not so interesting because it reopened last summer and then closed again when traffic dived down. But the terminals didn't reopen last summer because there wasn't the need for them. So clearly, if Frankfurt is reopening Terminal 2 this summer, it shows that there is some kind of demand um, for the number of flights that would justify it. Um, we don't have, obviously, concrete numbers at this point, but I'm expecting that passenger numbers should jump up with any hope. Um, but this is partly, this is why, yeah, fingers crossed. So uh, this is why Lufthansa sent the A380 away this morning, because the Northwest runway had been um, a parking place for the 747-8s. And obviously, you can't park aircraft on a runway that airplanes are landing on for... <laughs> Not um, a good idea. <laughs> yeah, we saw that with the KLM in uh, Tenerife and that didn't end well. So um, 
what they've done is they've moved the 747-8s elsewhere um, where the A380s were parked and other aircraft are now um, using that and passengers are subjected to the extra long taxi time from the runway once again. Oh dear. So thankfully it wasn't open when I flew in on Sunday. Sunday. Um, And it's not just the airport that's reopening. So Lufthansa also reopened its first class lounge in Terminal 1. So clearly it's seeing a demand increase from eligible passengers for that lounge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first class terminal is still closed for the moment, but they're looking to reopen it. But, you know, what I do find interesting is because of our current regulations in Frankfurt, they're not allowed to serve food or drink in the lounge. So they've currently got a takeaway selection, which I think kind of defeats one of the big points of the lounge. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's um, all about the food and the drink and the sitting around. But Yeah, but you know, like things are looking positive in Frankfurt. Um, our numbers are shooting down. So who knows, before too long, perhaps customers can start using that facility again as it's intended. Hope so. Hope so. I'm looking forward to coming to visit you when we're allowed and yep. uh, enjoying all the Frankfurt lounges myself. Mm. <laughs> so I wanted to wrap up today by talking about something that's not quite an airplane, um, but it could potentially replace some um, short regional flights. Mm. So um, we know that, you know, environmentally friendly options to regional travel, it's a really high priority for an awful lot of governments right now. You know, France, for example, the state mandated that any short domestic trips were to book by air were to be replaced by trains wherever possible. Um, Mm. But when you're talking about trips that go across water or mountainous terrain, it's hard to find a suitable alternative to a, a regional flight. Yeah. Um, but a UK company called Hybrid Air Vehicles, or HAV, believes it has the answer. Um, it has brought the Airlander 10 airship um, to my attention in the last few days. It's actually been around for a little while, um, but they unveiled a new cabin mock-up for it, which I will come to in just a minute. So okay. the Airlander 10, it can fly up to 100 passengers and it only goes about 80 miles an hour. But um, that, That's the, still quite impressive. Well, it's not too bad. It's nothing like a jet, but uh, it's, it gets you there. Um, mm. And it uses a combination of the lift provided by the large helium-filled body. Um, and you've got to check out the photos of this because some people have called it the flying buttocks because from the back the it really does mean. look like a big blown-up bottom. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it gets lift from the helium-filled body and propulsion from a hybrid electric motor. Um, and it can, it can fly to a range of about 4,000 nautical miles um, with its motor although it can stay in the air for up to five days so if the motor clunks out then you're uh, you're perfectly safe you're not going to crash yeah the end result of this that it is it is significantly much more efficient than a short trip in a plane um on an equivalent journey, it would reduce CO2 emissions around 75%, which is massive. So uh, one of the examples the company gave was Seattle to Vancouver. Um, an aircraft doing this trip would emit around 53 kilograms of CO2 per passenger. The Airlander, mm. it would take you about an hour longer to get there, but it would reduce this to just 4.6 kilograms of CO2 per passenger. Um, and not bad. When it's got 100 passengers on board, per passenger, it's even more carbon efficient than using a train or certainly a a private car. Um, So the most interesting thing for me, apart from all the CO2 whatnots, is the 
cool designs that are possible with this radically different sort of aircraft. So mm. it doesn't fly above 20,000 feet. It's much slower. Um, and all this reduces the need for an airtight, highly pressurised cabin. And that means you can be much more creative with the interior concept. So have put out a press release last week showing what the airlander could look like inside. And it looks so cool. Um, it will never be more dense than 100 passengers. And at 100 mm. passengers, you've got tons of space. I mean, these are like armchairs that you get to sit in not aircraft seats um, and they can't densify that cabin because weight is always a constraint when you're talking about an airship yeah. um, it travels much slower it's capable of landing on any surface including water and that means you're not constrained to having seats facing forward you know I've, I was reading a lot about the seat design and how you've got to be able to stop somebody's head hitting an object if they're um, if there's a sudden impact but because there's not this impact likely with an airship the seats can face each other it's a much more lounge type experience you know people sort mm. of gathered around tables it doesn't look like a play a, a, an aircraft so more at like all when you're on a Ferry. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it looked like, a sort of flying, mm. fairly luxurious ferry. Um, but most intriguing for me uh, were the really wonderful floor-to-ceiling windows all the way around. And this they just looked so cool. You know, you could sit up next to the window um, and because it doesn't need to be pressurised, there, there can be all these big swathes of glass um, and because you're only flying at 20,000 feet, you're going to get views of the cities that you're flying over that, you know, people have never seen before. It just looks incredible. Mm. Um, so, you know, this is all a concept at the moment. They have tested the Airlander 10. It does work, um, but it's not entering commercial service probably until 2025. But, you okay. know, we're halfway through 2021. It's not a million miles away. Um yeah. As I say, the first one is a hybrid electric um, engine, but the next one, they're looking to develop an all-electric version, which could essentially be carbon neutral because they could use renewable energy to charge up the motor. Um, mm. So exciting stuff. And you've got to check out my article on the site with the photos because the cabin experience looks phenomenal and much better than uh, anything you could expect on a regional turboprop or tiny jet, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, well, that's uh, cool. We'll keep an eye out for it. Definitely. If you ever see the flying buttocks, you know, it's uh, it's what I told you about. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's about it for today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.